0: Thank you Lord all right would you bring a Bible this morning it's a good majority that's good could you open that Bible to the book of 2nd Corinthians we're gonna to go to chapter 7 we've been there before this is something that might not be too new to some of you some of you it may be new to you and we're gonna talk about something that uh, every now and then is good to remind yourself of. As part of the Christian life, uh, we, I remember very, I mean, it always comes to mind what Jesus said in John, when he said, he's talking about the, us being the branches and him being the vine. There's one other person mentioned in that. See if you can remember who it is. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Who else is mentioned? The Father and what does he do he 's the vine dresser, right? Sometimes we, we so we sing the song you you know uh, you're the vine, we are the branches. Remember that old song we we talk about this, we 're the branches, he's the vine, but you've got to remember an important part of that equation is the father is the vine dresser, and that means and this is good, this means that he wants to help you in life. he wants to uh, Take out what you shouldn't have. And, and I'm, when I'm talk about what you shouldn't have, I'm not talking about that, oh, man. <laughs> I had one, we had one too many, one too many bookshelves in our house, and he just took it away. It, I, it collapsed, and it must have been the Lord. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those things in your heart. You know, your heart, your heart, your soul, all every part of you is so important to God. It's very important to God. You're important to God. And if you're important to Him, he cares about all these things in your life. He cares about how you, how you feel. He cares about how you think. He cares about how you live. And so we, we open ourselves and we open our hearts to him and say, God, do what you do. Do whatever you want to do in me. I'm completely yours. And you know, those times where, where we just feel a certain way and we know that we should be feeling another way, It's good to go to the Lord and say, God, this is the way I'm feeling. I don't want to feel this way. I know I probably shouldn't feel this way. Why do I feel this way? And you've got a faithful father that will get in there like a surgeon and take out the tumor, if there's a tumor, and operate on you so that you come out of there with a clean, whole heart. But it all starts with you giving him free reign to work in you, to fully move in you to fully transform you, to operate on you if necessary. In the book of 2 Corinthians, there's issues in this book. In in fact, I believe shortly we're actually going to go through this whole book on a Wednesday night series, and that'll be wonderful. But 2 Corinthians 7 is making reference to some things that we don't know the full story about, there are some things that came up in 1 Corinthians that may have something to do with this. 1 Corinthians, there was a fellow in the church that had been uh, uh, doing some things he shouldn't have done. He had been sleeping with his father's wife, and that's a bad move. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's not a, that's not a, that's not a let's discuss this. This is a no-brainer. Nobody was doing anything about it in the church. Now you Maybe you say... Was somebody supposed to do something about that? Yeah, someone's supposed to do something about that. Somebody's supposed to say something at some point. Maybe we're so timid and nervous that we don't ever want to say, hey, can I help you with that? (laughs) But nobody said anything. It just kind of kept happening. And they got in trouble because they said, you know, somebody should have done something about this. Somebody should have helped this guy. Somebody should have stepped in and said, that's not okay. We have to acknowledge And I want to make something very clear from the very top. I want to make very clear that the biggest thing you should be looking at your life is Jesus. The biggest thing that you should be thinking about is thank God I am redeemed. You are redeemed. Your blood bought. You've been set free. The cross did something for you. Jesus paid every price that needed to be paid. And thank God we partake in that. Not only that... But when he was resurrected, the Bible says we were crucified with him. That's our old nature. Our old nature got nailed to the cross. But when we were raised with him, we got a brand new nature. We were also resurrected with him. And we live in that resurrection life. The cross, the blood of Jesus, the grace of God is big enough for anything. There's nothing beyond his grace. There's nothing beyond his blood. His blood is powerful enough for even the worst, even the darkest, even the dirtiest, to be cleansed is white. In fact, the Bible says whiter than snow. Thank God. But you know, we are still in a world that isn't perfectly renewed. It has issues. And even you may find at times that you have not yet become perfect in every area. I won't Do a show of hands to who has and who hasn't. Let's all just pretend we're not perfect, okay? We're just, Leah, you just pretend. You just, you bear with us (laughs) so you can help somebody else. I know my wife's perfect, but she's, she took the baby downstairs. So, So in all these things, we got to remember there are going to be times where you do something you shouldn't have done. How do you react? How do you respond? It's wonderful to have a relationship with Jesus, where you know that that sin does not have to separate you from Him. That He He has paid for it, and you can go to Him, and uh, and and be honest and be straight, and know that He's made you completely clean and whole, and you're white, you're washed white, and and everything. Uh, the Bible says that he's removed your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. So, you know, the north and the south, they meet at the poles, right? There's a certain point if you go far enough north, you start going south. How weird is that, right? You, start, you go far enough north, you hit the north pole, and you, if you keep going, you'll be going south. So there's a point where they meet. But the east and the west, they never meet. They just go round and round and round. You'll never see them meet. You can't, you can't go east until you start going west. You will always be going east. So as far as the east is from the west, that's as far as he's taken our sin from us. They'll never meet again. The Bible says, this new covenant I'm making with you, God said, he said one of the things he said about this new covenant is that he would remember and recall your sins no more. He completely removed them from you. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that while the blood of goats and rams and animals could have covered the sins of the Israelites, it never took them away. So they were never perfect. There was still remained a reminder of those sins year by year. But the blood of Jesus being perfect completely removed those sins from us. Praise the Lord. So what do you do when you're in the middle of something you should not be doing? Do you just ignore it and hope that it goes away? Or do you let the Father really work on you? You see, repentance is not an Old Testament thing. Repentance is all through the Scripture, old and new. Repentance is a good thing. If you look at the Greek word for repent, it, m- it means to change, change your mind, change your thinking, change your way. And so what we do when we repent, it doesn't necessarily mean crying for three hours at the altar. If you did that, that's not a bad thing. But what it does mean is that you change, that you shift, that you turn from your sin, and you turn to the living God. I shouldn't say your sin. You turn from sin. So 2 Corinthians 7 is addressing an issue and it may be the issue that I just mentioned that was brought up in 1 Corinthians, or it may be a different one. And here's something that I love this little section of Scripture because it provides the balance we've, we've been looking for. It, it provides that scriptural understanding of what a New Testament believer, how you address those things where you're saying, I, I know this isn't right, How do I act? What do I say to God? What does he say to me? 2 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul writes this letter, and he says in verse 8, For I though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it. Well, that's that's not nice, Paul. You don't regret that you made us cry? And we cried. So I don't regret causing you sorrow. I don't regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a little while. I now rejoice. Not that you were made sorrowful. He's not a mean guy. He just finds it fun to make people cry. He said, some people are like that. Some people think they only did their job once somebody starts to cry. But Paul's not like that. He says, I'm not not rejoicing because you were sad. I'm not rejoicing that you were sorrowful. He said, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. I'm happy about that. I'm happy that it led to repentance. I'm happy about that. I'm happy. You've got to know, guys, what in the world is sin? Sin is a violation of the love of God. It's, it's a violation of all these things, this perfection that he is, the love that he is. Everything that's sin goes directly against that. It breaks that. So God did not create some weird arbitrary rules just to see if you'd follow them. He made a path for you to walk in his life and his love. And getting off that path is bad for everybody, especially you. And he doesn't want you to, to go through life like that. He doesn't want you to go through life in rebellion. He wants you to go through life in perfect fellowship with him, following the path of love that he set out for us through the word of God. There's a way to walk that you can walk just like Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't go around living an arbitrary rule-led life. The Bible says he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, and there was no sin in Jesus, none, He showed us the way to live. If you want to live like Jesus, this is how you do it. So here, he says, I'm not happy (laughs) that you were made sorrowful, but I am happy that you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, to repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. Now, for a minute, that might sound weird. God wanted me to be sorry about something. God wanted me to feel a little bad about something. Well, not not for the sake of feeling bad but for the sake of repentance so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. This is an important point because the sooner we come to the place where we say, God, you're right. You're right. You just say that. Say it every now and then. Just just out of nowhere, just say, God, you're right. It's a good, it's a good way to live. You ever get your Bible out and go, oh, I don't understand that. Start by saying, you know, you're right. I don't know why you're right, but I know you're right. Now you tell me why you're right. Sometimes, here's the way we think. If I want, some, if I want to, to believe somebody, if I want to accept what they say, you need to explain it to me. Somebody says, this is, this is the way you need to drive. I mean, oh my goodness, I'm sure I was a handful for my parents, because I was the guy I always asked, why though, but why? Well, what's the real reason we do that? And I, I got to a certain age where that's because it's the way it's done, just didn't fly. (laughs) It's not a reason. It's not a reason. So you need to tell me why we drive like that. I wanted to know, when I took that learner's exam, I I wanted to find out why, though. I know what what you want me to write down. I will write these things down. I want to know why we do that. There's got to be a reason. If there's not a reason, then what are we doing here? (laughs) I had to find a reason in something. But you know, you start out, even if you don't understand the rules of the highway, you've got to start by saying, yeah, okay, you're right, we'll do it that way. You don't say, but why do we drive on the right side of the road? The left seems better. I, I think the left's better. Until you give me a good reason, I'm driving on the left. Well, that's dumb. It's a good way to die. so So you start out by saying, I may not know why. Okay, but I'll drive on the right side of the road. There's certain things you get an instruction manual on. There's certain things that you open. And nowadays, especially when everybody could be sued back to the Stone Age, they've got warnings all over the place. You ever open these boxes now and they've got these pages after pages just piled onto the product that falls out warning 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 big yellow things things seals you have to break and you can't open them up until you until you read the warning and break the seal who's worthy to break this seal the guy that read the warning and so you know you finally get to Use the product after they've been sure you read everything so it doesn't come back to them. Well, there's plenty of those warnings. I don't know why it says don't do this. But I I start by saying, okay, I assume they know more about their product than I do. So when you start asking, God, why is this the way it is? That's not a bad question. But you must start by assuming he's right. He's right. Now, he doesn't have to explain that to me before I say, okay, you're right. I finally, I get it. I get it. Okay, that makes sense. You see, I wasn't with you on this. I mean, I was more on John Stewart's side here for a minute, but you're right. No, you're right. No, you start out by saying, you're right, and I I would like to know why. I want to know why you said this, but first and foremost, you're right, and I'm behind you. I'm with you. And so in this case, you know, it says, you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so you might not suffer loss in anything. And when you start by saying, God, you're right, there are some things in your life, if you, if you, when you put yourself at odds and say, no, I'm going to do something my own way, you're setting yourself up to suffer some loss in areas. And here he says in verse 10, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret. Now that's important, isn't it? repentance without regret. Some people think you're not really sorry unless you feel bad about it for three years or you know, two months or, you know, if you're not still crying about it every time you think about it. He says, true repentance, that God, uh, God's idea of repentance leaves no regret. Now, that's somebody who's been washed by the blood of Jesus. That when you turn from that sin, you stop regretting it, stop crying about it, stop thinking you've got to pay some sort of penance and whip yourself on the back. Move on. But you first got to repent. What does repent mean? Turn away and walk away. So he says that sorrow is good up to the point of repentance. Then he says this. That repentance without regret leads to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces what? There's two types of sorrow, guys. One produces repentance without regret. That sounds nice. One produces death. You can't mix the two up. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, that I did something really, you know, stupid. I stepped out of the will of God. I disobeyed God. I did something. And, you know, maybe I was doing it for a while. And all of a sudden, somebody said something to me or I looked in my Bible and I saw something and my eyes were opened and I felt all of a sudden that thing I didn't feel bad about. I suddenly don't feel comfortable with it anymore. There's, there's, a, there's a point in me that goes, ah, I don't, oh, man, that doesn't feel good. I don't think I should be doing that anymore. And I turn from it and what I do is I say, God, you know what? I, I, I didn't realize it or I was, <laughs> maybe I ignored it willfully. But I repent. I, you know, I should never have done that. I thank you that you've cleansed me. I thank you for your forgiveness. I receive it in Jesus' name. And, and Lord, I'm turning from that. I help you. I ask you to just help me to turn completely from that so it won't have control of my life anymore. Well, that's healthy. That's good. But, you know, if I went to God and I said, God, this is terrible, and I don't know if I can ever just, I don't know if I can ever talk to anybody about you again. I, I don't know if you'll ever use me again. I don't know if I'm ever able to to be a Christian anymore, and I, I'm just a bad one, and uh, golly, I, I don't know what I'm going to do, maybe I'm just going to have to go and, and, and you know, I'm just going to have to start a blog, <laughs> Failed Christian, failedchristian.com, I don't even deserve a .com. <laughs> .ca is all I deserve, <laughs> no, .net, .geocities.org. And I'm just going to blog about how much a failure I am. Thank God I'm going to heaven, but I can't do much more than that. God's not rejoicing in that. He's not saying, oh, I'm glad you sufficiently feel bad about this. Your tears are like incense to me. Sweet, salty incense. What I need you to do, I'm going to need you to do something for me. I'm going to need you to write me a a nice, sad country gospel song. And I want you to go place to place and cry and sing. And when someone tries to shake your hand, I I want you to say, I'm too dirty to shake your hand. That's what I want you to do. God's not doing that. There are certain things you've got to know the difference. When we talk about the fear of God, for instance, you've got to know there's a good fear and there's a bad fear. The fear of God that the Bible talks about actually draws you to Him. The fear, being afraid of God that the enemy would like you to have, actually pushes you away from Him. The fear of God is an honor, it's a reverence, it's, it's putting Him before all things, it's saying your opinion is the only one that matters. But being afraid of God, like some people are, makes you run away from Him. And it does the opposite of what God wants. You've got to know... Whether this is guilt working on you, condemnation, because the Bible says there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So you've got to know the difference between condemnation and and the Holy Spirit saying you need to, to change this. First and foremost, I believe the Holy Spirit is like a surgeon. He's very specific. He is not here. If the Holy Spirit's a surgeon, Satan He's a butcher. they have got different goals. The doctor doesn't just come and you get under the light and he just says, well, let's chop away. You came here for me to cut you, right? Maybe we'll get lucky and hit something. (laughs) It's chop time. All right, chop, chop, chop. Hey, I think I saw something bad in there. We might be doing something good here. No, he doesn't do that. He's, he, he try, he, he's minimal. Uh, the best surgeons leave barely a scar there. The Holy Spirit leaves no scar at all. When He operates on you to take out that thing that's been oppressing you, that's been causing pain to you and the people around you, that's been against His will and it's harming you, he, if you let Him and you say, God, this has been a part of my life for too long, and I didn't realize it until you pointed it out, now, Lord, do your surgery. He'll go in, he'll take it out, and that thing won't have power over you anymore. Aren't you tired? You see, aren't you tired of it? Because Jesus died so sin would have no power over you. You're not a slave anymore. You're free. You don't have to be a slave to those old impulses you used to have. If you were an angry person that blew your top, that just flew off the handle at the slightest provocation, you don't have to do that anymore You can be free. If you were a a pattern, just just continual liar, you don't have to do that anymore. He's going to set you free, even if it was something you all your life, ever since you were a little kid, you just lied. You don't have to be that way anymore. How do I respond to God? Well, here's what it says. He'll point it out, and he'll say, that, I can take that out. That, you shouldn't have in your life. And I'll do the surgery, I'll remove. you know what the enemy does the enemy doesn't say that as much as the enemy says you you're bad you know you're a horrible person you're a failure you're you're a terrible Christian the enemy doesn't just specifically say this needs to go the enemy says all of this is bad I don't know how you show up at church and look people in the eye It's it's not about removing something it's about making you completely feel terrible You feel guilty and so bound up and imprisoned by shame and guilt that you don't feel you can ever do anything for God again. The Holy Spirit's not like that. We've talked about this before. It's not new to you. But how do you respond? Do you just ignore these things and hope they go away and just say, well, you know what? Ah, Maybe it'll eventually go away. No, there needs to be this, this attitude in your life where you say, God, if something needs to be addressed, will you please address it? And I, I can't wait to be free from that. I, I mean, there are things, and we've talked about this, but thank God that when you got born again, he didn't point out everything in your life that needed to change. Did you notice that? Did you notice year one, there were, other, there were things that you learned about that you didn't know about when you first got born again? You grow, you grow from grace to grace, from glory to glory. And every, every stage when you, when God speaks to you about these areas of your life, the grace is there to actually do it and to, to, you're empowered to change, you're empowered to go further. It's a wonderful thing. What you couldn't do, you now can. What you couldn't be free from, you now can be free. But you know, there was, I mean, still, in my life and in your life, every year there's something new. We, we grow up a little bit more. We, we become more like him and we never stop growing and we never stop being perfected and so it should be a part of your life to know what to do know how to respond when God says to you that needs to go or if God uses somebody else to say now I'm not giving you free license to just go around everybody in the church and tell tell them what you think is wrong with them that could lead to some weird stuff it's a broken relationships. <laughs> but there are people in our life that we consider close and brothers and sisters. And there's people in your life that you let in and you say, listen, you need to tell me. You need to tell me if I'm out of line here. I've got people in my life that I know will shoot me straight. And I, and they have. <laughs> there have been times where I have had conversations, whether it was on the phone or or." T- emails or, or face-to-face where I thought I was doing just great, and they, they said, no, nah, you, you need to work on this. And as soon as they said it, I realized it was true. And thank God it, you had to swallow a little bit of your pride and say, yeah, you're right. But as soon as you said, okay, I'm willing to do that, God provided the, the strength and the power to get it done. But you've got to have people in your life that, that, that can say things to you. Or else you just blindly going, you go through life thinking, you know, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing good. It's not bad to think you're doing good. But, you know, we've all seen, maybe you haven't all seen. Most of you have seen the auditions on American Idol or any of these other shows. Some of you, that's the only part of the show you ever watch because you're mean like that. I don't know. What's... I admit, I don't watch the rest of the show. (laughs) I used to watch the editions because they were funny. But you ever, I mean, you have these people, and they they get up, and they make a fool of themselves. And to everybody in international audience, they sound terrible. We all know they sound terrible. They don't even sound close enough to say, oh, well, I can see how they might not be good enough to make it, but yeah, yeah, they're pretty good. Some of them are so bad that it violates the laws of nature. It just, they're so bad that it's almost an abomination. It's just like, you know, it's, it's the opposite of worship. It's just, no, man. now who's being mean, right? But then the judges say, so why did you try out? And you know how many of them say, all my friends and family told me that I was good. And you said, no, they can't all be that. They can't all be deaf. They can't all be. It's okay if some of them are, but you do not hang out with an exclusively deaf group of friends or tone deaf. Somebody lied to you. Somebody wanted to avoid a little argument. Somebody wanted to avoid an awkward situation. They told you what you wanted to hear. Now, do you want a bunch of people around you that do that all the time? Or do you want people that love you? Because people that love you tell you you're too old to be wearing a diaper. Time to grow up. You're about to go to kindergarten. Time to grow up. It's time to be potty trained. Or you're too old to do this. You you need people in your life that say that's not okay anymore. I, I can help you. People that do it in love. People that aren't condemning you. People that aren't bashing you, but people that love you and say, I can help you with this. I want people in my life that can do that. I don't want everybody in life to do that to me, but I I have certain people in my life that can say these things. And what do I do if they or if God himself were to say it? How do you react? Because the instinct is to do what Adam did. You guys remember what Adam did? The The first sins in the world, Adam and Eve, but you know, who really got held accountable wasn't Eve, but Adam. He was the leader. He was the one that got the instructions. He was in charge of the garden. It fell on him. But watch what he did. He might have had that, you know, I, I, I am, I'm the leader, I'm the head kind of attitude until he sinned. And then what happened? The, ins- the first things that happened when he sinned were immediately they realized their nakedness. They're ashamed, right? Shame comes with sin immediately. And they try to cover themselves. You know, that's an instinct of humans too. You try to cover up, right? Quickly cover up our shame. Quickly cover up this mess. Uh, There are certain people that that's their their whole business is to, you know, spin a cover up and to do it well. So Adam and Eve immediately try to cover up. What do they do next? They go and hide. Who are they trying to hide from? God. That's a dumb move the guy that created everything, the guy that can see everything, they, they think, you know, maybe he can't see past a couple of bushes. So they hide there, which is another instinct. Not only when, when you fall into this stuff, if you ignore the grace of God, you see, the grace of God is so good and so powerful that you can say, uh-huh, I see it. I, I did do that. I, I did. God. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that I am free from that. And you move on. You repent. You move on. And you get over it. No more regret. It says salvation. Repentance without regret. Stop regretting it. Isn't that wonderful? But when you're trying to cover up for yourself, what are you trying to do? The scripture tells us that in Romans 10, Paul talks about a righteousness that comes from God. It's a free gift from God. But it also talks about his friends, his old friends that he went to school with, his old friends that he was part of the Sanhedrin with, his old friends that, that were very strong Jews just like him. And he says, do you know what their problem is? Their problem is in trying to establish their own righteousness. They neglect the righteousness which is from God. In trying to make themselves righteous, they don't let God make them righteous. You know, somebody that's trying to cover up what they did, they're trying to produce self-righteousness. You're covering up because you're trying to seem righteous in yourself. You know what you need to do? Just let God make you clean. Just say, I need you. Just acknowledge that you need a Savior. Even if you're, I mean, if you've been born again for 20 years, acknowledge that you still need a Savior. What they tried to do was cover up, And when the lights are turned on, and God says, Adam, what have you done? Watch what he says. Well, this woman, and he points one finger at her, this woman that you gave me, and he points one finger at him, at God, no fingers pointed at Adam, this woman. That you gave me, so there's some... It's okay, I'm willing to share some blame here. Part of it's her fault, part of it's your fault for giving me her. <laughs> I'm willing to be reasonable. It's not all her fault, part of it's your fault. You made her. This woman that you gave me, she told me to eat this, and I did. So it's kind of both your fault. I I say we all just move on from this. I'm willing to let this go, I'm willing to let it slide. I, I say we just... Um, Pretend it never happened. And I've seen people, you know, people that ignore the grace of God, that ignore, uh, just, just try to set themselves up as, as, as perfect in their own strength and, and really try to cover up what they did, try to cover up and, and, and just make it so they don't, they don't need any help, they're doing just fine. What they do when they mess up, the blame starts to fly. Oh, the excuses and the blame and all of this. And you know what the scripture says? Paul says, I'm glad you felt sorry about that. You were sorrowful while you were doing it until you repented. You stopped feeling sorry. You stopped feeling regret. And you were able to move on with life. Because you said while you were in that sin, all of a sudden that sin didn't feel so good anymore. And that was a good thing. Oh, we know people. We know. I've known many people who had something seriously wrong with their body but they didn't want to go to the doctor or the hospital, not because they were trusting God, but because they said this and I quote, if I go there they may tell me something I don't want to hear would you think it's going to go away if you just ignore it Now, now this is somebody that's not saying I don't want to go to the doctor because I'm trusting God this is someone saying I'm afraid of what they'll say You know it's there whether the doctor says it's there or not. It's still there, right? You know that you don't go to the hospital and they go, okay, put the cancer in. Okay, put the, okay, quick, put leukemia in them. I mean, you know they don't do that, right? You know that they just see it. They're not putting it there. So you're not going, I mean, going to the doctor is not a roll of the dice going, well, they may inject me with something. No. You go there to find out if it's there. Then you move on. So, you know, if you just ignore these things in your life and just say, if I, if I don't look at it, it goes away. That's not the way it goes. That sorrow that he's talking about is a knowledge this isn't right. And all of a sudden, you're not okay with it anymore. Do so you know God gave you the ability to feel pain? God's not causing you pain, but the gift of being able to feel pain is a good thing. Or else you'd burn your hand on the on the stove every other day till you smelled something weird. You know, what's? oh, my hand. Oh, that's terrible. It's a blessing from God that you feel pain. I'm not saying it's a blessing from God to have pain, but sure a blessing to be able to feel it so you don't do stupid things, cut off your fingers, you know, other things. It is a blessing from God to know when something's there that shouldn't be there Because you're renewed in nature. You're a new person. And there are things that don't fit with you anymore. There are things that don't belong in you anymore. There are things that God wants you to be free from. And he says that kind of sorrow was a good thing. Because it led to repentance. But now, repentance without regret. Because there's another kind of sorrow. And the Bible says in that passage we read that that sorrow produces death. What's that sorrow? That's that continual guilt and shame. When you've repented, you should have moved on, but you just stayed there and felt like you should feel bad. Have you ever felt that way? Like I'm not honoring God if I don't feel bad a little bit longer. That kind of sorrow produces death in your life. You can't allow that to stay around because the enemy will bring these things up again. You might bring them up five, ten years later you feel that pang of regret. That will slow you down. And that will eventually kill you if you don't stop it. it produces death in your life. Don't, don't, don't let death rule in your life. You're free from death. You, you've partaken of the life of God. You have his life in you. Don't, don't let death rule. Don't, don't let that sorrow take over your life. Jesus set you free from that. So when you repent, move on. And if if the Lord says it's as far as the east is from the west, believe him. If he says I'll never bring it up again, believe him. See yourself as he sees you. There's another character in the Old Testament. Now, mind you, this is an Old Testament. You've got a better deal than David had. You have the Holy Spirit. He didn't have the Holy Spirit. You have a covenant with God through the blood of Jesus Christ that he didn't have. So understand that through that lens. But I want to I point something out very important. In 1 Samuel 12, you don't have to turn around, just for the sake of time, we'll just talk about it. In 1 Samuel 12, something happens to David. or Because of David, it happened before 1 Samuel 12. But David had a blind spot in his life. He had a couple. And As you know, there was a time where he was on his roof. His troops were off at battle. He was on his roof. He looked down from his roof, and he saw a woman that was bathing. Now, should he have even been home? Should he have been out with his troops? That's another thought for another time. But he was looking out, and he watched this woman bathing, and he shouldn't have watched, he shouldn't have looked, and he didn't look away. He let that lust in, and because it got in a little bit, he didn't get rid of it. It became bigger in him. He sent for her. And he committed adultery with that woman, who was the wife of one of his best men, Uriah the Hittite. Should never have done it. Now, it could have stopped there, but it didn't. You see, you have an option. You can quit, repent, be clean, move on. Or you can continue in this stuff and it just builds and lies upon lies and webs upon webs and so messed up and confused, you don't know what's wrong. Right. David tried to cover up his own sin because he got this woman pregnant. He tried to cover it up by having Uriah come home and spend some time with his wife, hoping that Uriah would think he got his wife pregnant. But Uriah was such a good man that he said, I can't go home and be with my wife. I'm on duty. I'll stand here. I'll stay at the gates and guard you. That's the kind of man that David betrayed. Should have stopped there. Didn't stop there. David is still trying to cover up something. So he says, if I can't, because if this all comes out, I'm in trouble. There's going to be a scandal. He sends Uriah to the front lines. And he tells his general, this is so horrible, he tells his general, I want you to put Uriah at the front and I want you all to advance in in range of the archers. And then when Uriah gets to the front, I want him to lead the charge and I want you to tell everybody else, retreat, but don't tell Uriah. So there was a secret plan that they'd all go up as if they were charging. Charging. How much bravery does it take to charge a gate, charge a wall? People are firing arrows at you. And to lead that charge, you're putting yourself most at risk. But Uriah was a brave man. He charges to the front. And silently, all of his friends, his brothers in arms, his relatives, everyone he's ever loved besides his wife, leaves him on the field. And they leave him because they're afraid of the king. The king that's supposed to be close to God. The king that's not only the the king, but the lead worshiper. Have you ever felt confused as to somebody that you thought was supposed to be this image of Christianity or of love and they don't live up to that? Imagine how they felt. This is the guy, we sing his songs in church. I'm not talking about We as in Lloyd Minster. I'm talking about they thought that. They were singing his songs already. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. They sang that. Not only has your king, but your lead worshiper told you to leave this guy in the battle. And they all did. And I don't know how many arrows hit Uriah, but he was the only one they were firing at. And he died. And David thought, all my problems are solved. No one will ever find out except those people that he infected and pulled into his little conspiracy. And they have to live with their consequences because he pulled them into his sin. So he does this. And all these people that are now involved in this sin that should have just stopped at that rooftop. He takes this woman and says, you're my wife now. It's all going to work out. One day he's in his palace, and the scripture doesn't tell us who's around. So I want you to take this part as something that you could go either way with. But most of the time, King had people around him during the day. He wasn't by himself. He had people in the court. Advisors, friends, family. A lot of times you'd have somebody around. So whether Nathan, it doesn't say Nathan got him in private. Nathan might have called him out in front of people. He might have done it privately. I don't know. I've always pictured there were people in the room. Because it doesn't say Nathan pulled them aside. But Nathan goes and sees David, and he tells him a story. He says, David, let me tell you a story about something that happened in your kingdom. It's not a made-up story. This is something that happened in your kingdom. The king's job was to give justice. So, all right, David's ready to hear. There was a man, he was a poor man. He didn't have much at all. All he had was this little lamb that he loved very much. He loved this lamb. It was everything to him. There was a rich man who had flocks and flocks and flocks. He had, he had more than he could ever need or want. The rich man was having a party. He goes to this poor man's house and he says, I'm going to take your lamb. That lamb's all that that man had. That rich man could have had any of the lambs he wanted, but he wanted that one. And he took it, and he killed it. And that poor man was left with nothing. And David was so infuriated. He gets up and goes, who is this guy? He deserves to die. Samuel says, you're the man. Now, that's one time you don't want somebody to say to you, you're the man. Samuel, did I say Samuel? Nathan. Nathan apologize nathan system you're the man this is the point i'm talking about that point where sorrow hit that point of sorrow was a good point of sorrow because that's a point of recognition that something doesn't belong in you you're righteous that's unrighteous they don't mix light darkness they don't mix right there's a point where it's identified as wrong. Have you ever ate something you shouldn't have eaten? You know, your body does something good. It rejects it. Have you ever had that time where you're like, ooh, that was bad. That, I, I knew that shrimp smelled funny. That was, oh. I'm just tell you this before lunch. I don't know why. You may think it's terrible that you had to eject that shrimp. But I'm going to tell you, thank God you did. Because if you didn't, it would cause worse issues. That's your body saving you some trouble down the road. Rejecting something that doesn't belong. Well, that's the same thing, that sorrow. The minute he hears that, he feels that, oh. He recognizes for the first time his eyes are opened. I did that. What have I done? And he repents. Now, he had to deal with some Old Testament consequences. You're a New Covenant believer. Now, there, sometimes there's still consequences to your actions. But at least as far as God's concerned. And even David, David partook in some of this New Covenant stuff because even though he wasn't in the New Covenant, God had mercy on him because Nathan says to him, God has removed your sin from you. Wow. But here's the deal. He lost his son. He lost that baby. That's a sad thing. And I'm certainly not saying that would happen to you. But the appropriate thing that happened here, as he said, I mean, think about it. This should have happened on the rooftop. Didn't happen on the rooftop. Should have happened when Uriah came home. Didn't happen when Uriah came home. Should have happened before Uriah was sent out to battle. Didn't happen. Should have happened after that. Didn't happen. It took somebody to come and point it out. And it took finally he realized his eyes were open and he finally felt appropriately about it. But you know what? As much as you realize something you've done is bad, as bad as it is, you've got to make much of the blood of Jesus and make much of the cross because that is more powerful than any sin you've ever committed or ever will commit. And it is so powerful that it does not simply cover it and cover the smell of it. It does not simply make it prettier. It completely removes it. And it will completely make you clean. And you've got to know that the power of the blood of Jesus is not temporary. It is eternal. It is not partial. It's complete. And it is not limited in its power. It is absolute in its power. There's nothing beyond the blood of Jesus. So get over yourself and embrace the grace of God. Get over yourself and stop protecting that sin and trying to cover up for it. Instead, bring it into the light of God's love and God's mercy and, God's, and the blood of Jesus and let it be taken away. Repent. Repent. And stop regretting. You see, a lot of people think you've got to say either or. Either we preach a message of repentance Or we preach a message of non-condemnation. But they go together. They go together. That's the message of the gospel. You've got to know that you need a Savior. But you've got to know you have one. Thank God. We have a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And here's the deal. There are going to be times in your life where things you thought were okay suddenly become clear that they're not okay. And that's good. That's God causing you to grow. That's the vine dresser working on you. If that's not happening, you've either become a perfect human being or you've got a big blind spot. So you need to be able to know how do I respond to God? There's a great scripture in the Old Testament where the prophet says, I will wait upon my post, I'll watch. And I'll wait and I will see what the Lord says and how I should respond. How I should respond when I'm reproved. That's important. We love, I know how to respond when God gives me a good word, right? I jump up and down, I get excited. That made me feel good. How do you respond when the Lord says, this needs to change? Do you know how you respond? Yes, Lord. Change away. Change away. I want to be more like you every day. Change it. Change it. Do you know, the faster you say yes to God, the less loss you'll suffer. Because his ways are the best ways. His truths are the best truths. His commandments are the best commandments. His love is the only way to live. And you know what? The Bible says in 1 John, His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Thank God. In fact, let me read that to you. Because I... Um, I want to read it just in its fullness in 1 John 5, and we'll close with this thought. Praise, thank God. We don't have to be proud anymore. We can be humble, right? Now, the humility that God has, his humility is not a, oh, I'm a terrible person humility. The humility of God has, is, it says, I, it looks at him. It looks completely at him. It says, I am who he is. Says, I am, I am who he made me to be. I am through him everything I need to be. There's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. 1 John 5 says this. In verse 2, by this we know. Or, sorry, let's start in verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. Listen to this. And His commandments are not burdensome. Why aren't His commandments burdensome? Here's why. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Praise God. You've overcome the world. He's overcome the world. We have victory in Jesus Christ. You're meant to live a victorious life in Him, victorious over every scheme of the enemy, victorious over the curse, victorious over sin, victorious over death. You are victors in Jesus Christ. Stand up and be victors. Live like victors, hope like victors, trust like victors, rejoice like a victor. And know that when the Father comes to prune, it's a good thing. It will cause you to grow more than you thought you could grow. It will cause you to have fruit that you didn't know you could bear. He loves you. May I I say that? Above all things, He loves you. You've got to know He loves you. Because when you know beyond every other thought in your mind, beyond every other emotion, that He loves me, there is nothing He'll say or tell you to do that you can't fully run in with abandon because you know He loves me. I'm an overcomer in Jesus Christ. He loves me. You know, He wouldn't say this to me just to make me feel bad. He says this because he loves me. He loves me, he loves me.